0: 11.04 on your Saturday morning. Yeah, a beautiful, crisp, and bright Saturday morning. You want to call in uh, Dr. Lou is here. Uh, it is star 640 on cell. Going to cover a bunch of stuff today. If you're in pain, if you're getting over some pain, want to know how to treat your pain, You've uh, come to the end of your rope as far as treatment is concerned. You want to look for something alternative? Maybe uh, Dr. Luke could, uh, could assist you. It starts with a phone call this morning. You want to give us a call? info at paincarecanada.com. You want to send us uh, an email this morning. Uh, we got two hours today, so we're going right till, uh, till one o'clock. So there you go. How are you doing, buddy? Good. You?
1: Good, man. How was the week? It was good. Yeah. yeah. I was in Phoenix last nice. week. It was nice. How yeah. was that? Hot, sunny, no. steamy, okay. Uh it was a little cold. It was a <laughs> yeah. little cold. I went to the desert for cold. Yeah. But no, it was overall it was a nice trip. Good. I went to see my brother. Yeah. Good. Hurt yeah. yourself? No. So no. you're okay. No, lucky guy. I'm I'm not hurt at all. <laughs> How was the week? Other than Phoenix and work, uh, I mean. Good, good. I, I got back and uh, I've seen some patients mm-hmm. and uh kind of what you were just talking about, uh um, with people giving me a call. And, and a lot of the things that I'm, I'm starting to see now as a result of this show is a lot of second opinions. People just kind of want to know uh, if the course they're on is the right course, if right. there's anything else that they should be doing, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and again, and, and in seeing and doing these assessments, what I'm finding are a lot of flaws that... Healthcare practitioners are making out there. I had a gentleman uh, actually yesterday who came to me. He had he's complaining of numbness in his pinky and his ring finger on the right side. Okay, uh, and he was told by his family doctor that it was likely just an ulnar nerve and, and it's something that drives me crazy because an ulnar nerve is an anatomical structure it's not a cause of pain right so a lot of times people say yeah I have an ulnar nerve well everybody has an ulnar nerve an ulnar right. nerve what so when you look at we've talked about this a lot of times uh, when you're looking at numbness and tingling you got to consider what's potentially causing that it could be something like a peripheral entrapment uh, which just basically means that somewhere in that upper extremity there's a tight muscle or a tight joint that's impinging on the nerve causing right. that, it may be something more central towards the the spinal cord, like a disc herniation affecting the nerve root. It could also be something within the spinal cord, like a cyst. It could also be something neurological and more serious, like MS or et cetera, et cetera. So he presents to me, he's talking about this numbness and tingling. And yeah, it seems very much... Um, you know, like an ulnar nerve entrapment, uh, something to do with tightness in the forearm. And as I'm speaking to him more, one of the important things that we always like to ask about is, what's your past medical history? Tell me a little bit about yourself. And he says, yeah, I'm a pretty healthy guy, uh, but last year I had a TIA. A TIA is a tran- uh, transient ischemic attack, which is a mini-stroke, right? Oh, okay. And I was like, okay. And one of the symptoms of stroke is these types of things, right? Like neurological deficits. So I said to him, I said, tell me a little bit more about what happened that day when you had the the TIA. So said, well, I went to sleep. I was totally fine. No issues. I go to sleep. I wake up uh, around midnight, he says, to go to the washroom. Uh, and I can feel that my right arm is heavy and numb and I can't lift it and whatnot. And I say, okay. And I said, and that's the same arm you're complaining of symptoms today. Yes. yes. Uh, he, and I said, okay, what did you do after? He said, I went to the washroom. I went back to bed. Mm-hmm. I said, Okay. He says, I woke up uh, the next morning and my arm still felt funny. And so, you know, I, I still went to work. I did my day-to-day stuff. But then I was a little bit concerned, so I went to a walk-in clinic. Walk-in clinic uh, said that I may have had a mini-stroke, sent him to the wow. hospital, uh, got you. some imaging, ended up seeing a neurologist. And yes, it was confirmed that he had a, a mini-stroke. However, the big, the big flaw that I hear in this story is nobody explained to him what a stroke was, number one. I had to sit there yesterday and kind of explained to him what the pathology of a stroke is. And no one also explained to him that potentially, because that was the arm where he originally had the symptoms, that he would have needed some type of rehab in that area so that that neurological deficit that he's now feeling is not prolonged over time and so you know just based on a good history no special testing i had to do i just had to talk to a patient which i think is something that's missing in healthcare nowadays we it's often do this test do that test and no one bothers to sit with you and speak with you and and hear you out and become a detective and so through all of this i was able to figure out you know probably what's going on because then i tested him for other things and there were no other things and so it's probably just some residual issue from the stroke that he had last year but at least now he has answers Right. right and it doesn't mean there's nothing that can be done but at least he starts to understand the etiology which means where did this all start from that's nice um, yeah. and so he very very happy uh is coming he's going to follow some uh, treatment that i've recommended follow up with me and uh yeah it, it's again it's just it's sad to to hear these types of stories where people uh, don't get things explained to them the right way uh that people just dismiss it like the family doctor saying oh it's just a nerve whatever right well You know, the the family doctor knew he had a stroke. He's an educated professional. He should be able to put two and two together. Big time. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll
0: squeeze Mark in before the break. Hey, Mark, how are you, pal?
2: Hey, not bad. Uh, uh, Thank you again for uh, doing this. It's a great service you guys are doing.
0: Appreciate that. Go ahead.
2: Um, My question is, uh, I just recently got diagnosed with uh, high levels of uh, uric acid. Mm
0: -hmm. And
2: uh, I've looked up the top 10 things that you eat that contributes to it. And I don't do practically any of those Mm -hmm. things. Um, I'm just wondering if there's anything you know that I can maybe start eating that might counteract uric acid or reduce my levels?
1: Um, to reduce your levels, I, again, all these types of things when you're looking at high levels of anything, it's a right. matter of trying to figure out, well, what's causing those high levels? Um, uric acid is uh, it's a metabolic byproduct, so uh, it's, it's something that, have you ever had gout?
2: No, no, but uh, apparently my doctor said that uh, it, I, most definitely the, the le- I'm at a level of uh, 600, Okay, you said uh, that definitely is uh, a sign that I'm either going to have kidney stones or gout
1: coming. Yeah, and so I was just going to say that, you know, gout and kidney stones are are two potential things. Now, you know, that doesn't mean it's always going to happen. But, you know, you may also have something like diabetes going on that you don't know yet. And diabetes can affect uric acid levels. So are there specific foods that can counter uric acid? I can't think of any off of the top of my head. Uh, but what I can tell you is the more important question I believe for you is figuring out why are those levels high right, right? Uh, and trying to get an answer the other thing about uh, a lot of metabolic breakdown and different, You know minerals and things that we have in our body. Some people just have high levels and it's just genetic. I actually have uh, very high iron levels which can be... My sister-in-law has got low iron levels. Yeah, and and high iron is called uh, hemochromatosis and it's just a genetic thing. And so, again, high iron levels can be a scary thing when it's picked up on blood work if there's other signs and symptoms because it may be a symptom of like an early cancer or something like that. Mm -hmm. But you know, when when I noted that I had this, I just went through the right testing to make sure, okay, is this just benign or is It's something more serious. And I would encourage you to uh, mark that this is probably something, you know, get it checked out, make sure there's no other cause uh, for why the uric acid is high. And and if it's, um, you know, and and if there's no other cause, then, uh, you know, usually, you know, the foods that will cause uh, uric acid. Uh, and probably avoiding those is probably the best thing. Which he's thing. doing, yeah. Yeah, so and you're already just be doing him, it. Right? But sometimes it's also about just cleaning up your diet really well. Uh, and that means a lot of fruits and vegetables and limiting the protein, limiting the carbohydrates. And that usually is the type of diet that helps a lot of different things.
0: Thank you. No problem. Cool. Thanks, Mark. We'll, uh, we'll take a quick break. 416-870-6400. Star 640 on cell. A two-hour edition of the Dr. Pain Show here till one o'clock. Give us a call. We'd love to talk to you on this beautiful Saturday morning right here. The Dr. Pain Show continues. Talk radio AM 640. 11-15 Saturday morning. Yeah, we got wide open lines. You got some pains, got some problems, issues, questions you want answered. Bring them on. Dr. Lou is here till uh, one o'clock uh, this morning. Wife sore today. Gets up her back. She's got Sciatica. It's always sciatica. sciatica. I've got
1: sciatica. Always sciatica. What is that? Well, Well, it's a thing,
0: but everybody just kind of lumps it into one label, right?
1: Yeah. And it's funny. I I try to educate um, my patients on this and I also teach. And when I teach my students, I try to make them understand because oftentimes in healthcare, we're told clinical signs that we believe are diagnoses. Similar to Mark who just called and said, I was told to have high uric acid. That's just a clinical sign. That's not a diagnosis of what's causing a problem, right? Uh, Similar to if you went, You know, you you had flu-like symptoms and then someone told you you have a fever. Just a clinical sign, right? And sciatica is the same thing. It's closer to a clinical sign and symptom than it is a diagnosis. What sciatica is, is that the sciatic nerve is somehow irritated from something. That something could be similar to what we were just talking about with the ulnar nerve. It could be something like a peripheral entrapment where maybe there's a tight muscle uh, around the sciatic notch impinging on the nerve, or maybe it's a disc herniation causing that or maybe it's something within the spinal canal itself like a stenosis or it could be something neurological so again sciatica is just a symptom and a clinical sign of pain in the sciatic nerve most oftentimes when people complain of it it is due to some type of a low back problem which Mm -hmm. is either going to be some type of a, a disc herniation or some type of a tight muscle and then you know in more serious cases there's other causes but that's all it is it's irritation of the sciatic nerve and the harder part is when you talk about treatment and i get this question a lot how do you treat uh, your sciatic nerve? Right. Again, it depends on what's causing the irritation of the nerve. And then once you know that, you 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 have the right treatment, right? Because the right diagnosis equals right treatment. Uh, and I've said that all the time. And a lot of the times what we're trying to do is every time we see a patient, we try not to, you know put all our eggs in one basket and say, you absolutely have this, you always want to have a couple, what we call differentials where you say, okay, this is what's most likely like 95% sure this is what you got, but it could also be this and this. And so we're going to treat it according to option A first, but we're not, we're going to keep monitoring you. If things change, we may start treating what option B and C would require just so that you're actually getting people better.
0: Is that Does that count as far as sciatica is concerned, whether it's left, right or center? In terms of what? As far as diagnosis, that could change depending on whether it's right down the center of your back or on the side of your lower back above a kidney, right?
1: Right. Uh, with sciatica, usually if you have pain in both the sciatic nerves on either side, uh, that's an indication that it's probably more due something to something in the spinal canal. Uh, because if you look at the anatomy of the vertebrae and the way the nerves come out, if it's something like a disc herniation, disc herniations tend to favor one side and would, o- would only cause pain on one side. But it's very common when people complain of that uh, bilateral or, or pain on both sides of the legs in a sciatic distribution, then you start to really consider things like stenosis mm-hmm. or even maybe sometimes it's more rare, but you can have a central disc herniation where the disc actually herniates into the spinal canal uh, and puts pressure And those... Anything that's within the spinal canal is always harder to treat than anything outside of the spinal For canal, sure. right? Yeah. Uh, so that's a very important thing to, to try to determine uh, when people, because people do come in and they sometimes will feel it more on the right. And then they'll say, yeah, but every once in a while I get it on the left. And as soon as I start hearing that the symptoms are on both sides, I start to think of things more within the spinal canal itself and affecting the spinal cord. And, and again, you have to be careful with that type of stuff. Um, you know, with a really bad disc herniation, uh, you can get something called cauda syndrome. What is with that? is essentially... Uh, where you would lose control of your bowel and your bladder because of the how much nerve pressure is being caused, and that's a medical emergency. So anybody out there that's ever been told that they have a disc herniation and they're undergoing treatment, most healthcare professionals would tell them that in r- rare instances, uh, a disc herniation could, you know, develop into where the actual nucleus pulposa goes into the spinal canal and impinges on. Uh, the spinal cord, which could potentially lead to cauda equina syndrome. And if if anybody does have symptoms like loss of bowel bladder function or what we call saddle anesthesia, which is uh, just basically loss of sensation in the genital area, that's a medical emergency because they have to take pressure off of the uh, of the nerve at that point, in order to not make those deficits sustained over a long period of time.
0: Is this something you would treat, or you'd send them to? you know Oh, that emerge, would be going, that, like, that
1: would be going to the emergency wow, room. We, no we we've, we've picked it up in in the office, right? Because people think they have a disc herniation and they'll come in and they'll say it's weird. Today I started, uh, you know, I'm, I I feel like I can't control my bowel and like things are happening. And you can do a couple quick tests in the office to to gauge if it is, and then that's you're going straight to the emergency room. No kidding. Yeah, that's a medical wow. emergency. That's that's a nine one one call. Wow, for sure.
0: We'll take a uh, we'll take a quick one. Open lines four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred star six forty on sale. We'll take your calls and get to lots more here on a two hour edition of the Doctor Payne Show. It's Talk Radio AM six forty. Yeah, eleven twenty four. We have plenty of time to uh, to talk to you this morning. Got phone lines open four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred star six forty on sale. You got health? You got pain concerns? Bring them on, Doctor here to to talk to you about those. Tiny, good morning. How are you?
3: Good, good. How
0: are you? Good. What's uh, what's happening with you?
3: Um I have uh, a tear a complete tear in my two two tears uh, in my um rotating cuff shoulder.
0: All right. Okay.
3: And uh it's just um, I want to find out after the surgery um from your experience uh, what's the chances to completely
4: re- uh, be re- re-
3: re- re- rehabilitated right.
1: or Yeah. Do you know which one of the muscles is affected? No, they just said two, and I don't. Okay, yeah. So, so just a little bit of background. So, the rotator cuff is a group of muscles Mm -hmm. uh, that holds the shoulder in place. Um, Three of the four prevent um, one movement, uh, one type of movement, and then there's another one which is called uh, um, subscapularis, which prevents what's called internal rotation, so bringing your arm towards your body. That is probably the most important muscle of all of four to rehabilitate after surgery, uh, only because the effects of three versus one. So there's three on one side and one on the other side. So oftentimes, in my experience, rehabilitating all the muscles are important, obviously, but definitely um, rehabilitating the one that resists internal rotation is very important. The other thing about rehab is that that's often done wrong is understanding the way muscles contract. So the easiest type of contraction is what we call isometric, which means you can activate a muscle without causing any movement. So imagine your bicep and you're just holding it out and you squeeze your muscle. There's no movement happening, but you've activated the muscle. That's the easiest form of of, of contraction of our muscle. Then you have what's called concentric, where you can actually – it's. You know, it's the typical dumbbell curl. You pick You'll up a weight him. and you flex your muscle. Then the hardest type of con- contraction is where you would start where the muscle is shortened and load it uh, negative. uh, eccentrically negatively. And so that's a very important aspect in rehabilitation is is graded rehabilitation from isometric to concentric to eccentric. And that's m- much harder to explain, obviously, over the radio and phone than it is to show somebody. But those are the big things with uh, rehab rehab. Uh, of the shoulder and especially the rotator cuff. My assumption is, is, if you're getting rotator cuff surgery, have you has your shoulder been dislocating?
3: Uh, no, 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 it's just tears. I am a prof- uh, No, I'm a professional. I used to be a professional tennis player. So. Oh,
1: okay, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, if I mean, if there's tears in there, and, and and I guess there's a lot of mobility. Oftentimes, rotator cuff surgery is done if there's an instability in the shoulder. Um, And so, and again, I'm not sure with your specific case, but definitely the surgery will make the shoulder stable. The the only downside to having a a stable shoulder after surgery is you tend to lose a little bit of range Mm -hmm, of motion. And that's just oh. kind of the reality of doing surgery. You don't really have an option there. So, uh, but as long as you get the right rehab after your recovery, will be very good. It's just a matter of again doing the right rehab. That's stuff that my clinic can help with, uh, Tanya. If you're interested after the surgery, give us a call.
0: Okay. okay. All
1: right. Thank you very much.
0: No problem. Thanks, Tanya. One eight five 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 five. Doctor Lou, by the way, is that number one eight five 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 D R L O U? We'll get to Frank. Hey, Frank. Good morning
2: morning guys how's it going good Bally, what's going on
0: with you uh
2: not bad just a quick question for dr lou i've been doing some, you know i've been doing some research uh, online and i have been to both but what is the difference between and which one do you prefer chiropractic care or osteopathic care which one's better for you
1: Loaded question, it depends. Um and, and like, you know, we'd have to we can do a full history class over two hours on where both originated from and what they both do. What I'll I'll give you the quick uh, you know, the Coles notes type of things. Uh, Chiropractic is a regulated profession in Ontario. Osteopathic care, osteopathic practitioners are not regulated in Ontario. And so that's very important from protection of the public. So I'm sure you've heard of the College of Physicians and Surgeons. Well, any regulated profession has a college, such as chiropractors have the College of Chiropractors of Ontario, the College of Physiotherapists of Ontario, uh, the College of Accountants of Ontario, Mm et cetera, et cetera. Colleges exist to protect the public. What that means is if you go see a chiropractor, chiropractor and something happens that you don't really like, you have a body to complain to that will take action against that person. Osteopathic practitioners are not they don't, they're not regulated in Ontario, which means they don't have a regulatory body that protects the public. So that's number one. Now, that doesn't mean there's osteopathic people out there that are not good. I have osteopathic practitioners uh, working with me. Originally, osteopathy started in the States, and in the States it's called a doctor of osteopathy, and it's very similar to a medical doctor, actually. They actually practice almost the same way they do surgery. Here yeah. in Canada, I think it was around the 90s, uh, they didn't allow doctors of osteopathy to... To come in or whatever so osteopathic practitioners were created it's oftentimes to to get your osteopathic license is something like six months and it's like on weekends so the education is very different versus a chiropractor has gone to undergrad for three to four years and then does another four years of a professional education and gets a doctor of chiropractic degree right so education is different they're classified as doctors uh they can diagnose um and again, I'm not going to answer which one's better or not better because I do really believe more than looking looking at uh, professions is more important as looking at individuals. Uh, and so there are some osteopathic practitioners out there that, might that are the very, very yeah. good. And they may even be better than some chiropractors. But as a general thing, I can't say for sure. I just think you should be educated on the difference in terms of what education is, uh, scope of practice, uh, regulation. And those types of things are very important towards making that choice. But like I said, like I'm a chiropractor myself, but I have osteopathic practitioners that I refer to that work with me when I believe uh, it's going to be indicated. So you know, okay. again, it's it's not about it's not a matter of, of better or worse. It's about the right person for the right thing that you have going on.
2: Yeah, because I I know a, a, quite a few people that do go to chiropractors mm-hmm. uh, for certain for certain ailments, right? Whether it's like lower in the sacroiliac area, or if it's in the upper thoracic, lower thoracic region, or the neck. Yep. And they always feel that if they go there, they get the same quick crack, and they're out in ten minutes, and they still don't really get there. So what's the difference between a good chiropractor who, yeah. who really knows what he's doing? And a the guy there who's just to make money, give you a couple of cracks, and be sure. you on your
1: way. Well, that's that's already kind of in my books, you know. And again, me being a professional, one of the things about being a professional is I'm not mm-hmm. supposed to badmouth people within my own profession and other professions. But what I will say is that, you know. We're very people are very smart. If you feel like you're getting ripped off, chances are you are getting ripped off. Right. So if someone's only spending two minutes with you or three minutes and that's not working for you, it does work for some people. But if it's not working for you, there's plenty of chiropractors that don't practice that way. Give me a call. I can help you find those people. Those are the types of chiros that I hire.
0: We'll take a a short break. Your calls 416-870-6400-STAR-640 on cell. Got some open lines. Bring it on. We're here till 1 o'clock this afternoon. The Dr. Payne Show Talk Radio, AM 640. 1134. We're here till 1 o'clock in the Dr. Payne Show, 416-870-6400-STAR-640 on cell. After the show, by the way, if you need to get a hold of Dr. Lou, info at paincarecanada.com. And uh, Dr. Lou, your number, 1-855-55-DRLOU, D-R-L-O-U. Sam, thanks for uh, hanging in there. What's going on? hey um
5: i hope you guys can hear me i'm just on the car and the speaker
0: yeah we're good
5: uh, okay good uh i have uh in both feet uh chronic bilateral plantar fasciitis very bad very sore uh working on my feet for for 20 years um i just found out i had uh, just went for x-rays and he the guy told me that uh, i have three bone spurs Mm -hmm. one Two on one foot, one at the ball of the feet, one at the heel, and then the other one is just the heel.
1: Mm-hmm.
5: Um, what what do you do? Like, is it, is it? Do you go for surgery for something this serious? Like, I can walk maybe for two hours, three hours a day, yep. and that's it.
1: Mm-hmm. So, okay, a couple things. Spurring happens over a very, very long period of your life. That's not something that would have just happened, you know, yesterday. Sometimes the spur can be the cause of the pain yes but not always and so oftentimes one thing that's done wrong with plantar fasciitis is x-ray shows heel spur heel spur is cause of pain wrong it may not that may not be it uh, it may just be the plantar fascia is being aggravated and has never been treated the right way or having um the right uh time to heal uh, so, yeah, he, and, you know, if, if the heel spurt is the cause of the pain, then, yeah, maybe considering getting it removed may be an option. Uh, but, again, it, it really becomes, is it the real source? Is it the pain generator that's causing the plantar fascia to become aggravated? Yes or no? And that's the harder question to figure out. Uh, and the harder, sorry, the harder answer to, to figure out. Does that kind of make sense? So, uh, yeah, I mean,
5: it does make sense. I've been seeing uh, a massage therapist, right, for the feet. Um, and she keeps saying that you got to stay off your feet for at least, you know, two weeks, three weeks just to, to let that muscle heal. No. I'm saying that correctly?
1: <laughs> no, I just, I, that, yeah, I'm, I'm only laughing because that, that's just, you know, how do you tell somebody stay off your feet for yeah. two weeks? Like, even if you had to go to the washroom. You couldn't stay off your feet. There's a very specific way to treat plantar fasciitis. And in all honesty, it sounds like you're probably not getting the right way to have it treated. So I'm sure if you had better treatment, you may have better outcomes. Uh, This is exactly the type of stuff we deal with. Uh, Where are you calling from? Uh, Toronto, Toronto. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so give me, give us a call. I'll I'll set you up with somebody who can treat this the right way, uh, get you better, and and it shouldn't plantar fasciitis is not something that should ever become chronic. Like it can reoccur, but if you treat it the right way, uh, you should definitely be able to minimize the symptoms. There are a lot of home care things that you could do, but one of the recommendations would never be stay off of it for two weeks because it's just not possible, right? So there are ways to keep the plantar fascia from being aggravated without staying off your feet. And those are, again, those are things that you'd have to go through with somebody, and it's it's kind of hard to explain over the radio, but yeah, this is, it's definitely something that could be treated. Okay. Okay.
5: Okay, what, can I ask one final question? Yep. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. What do you think about uh, night splints? Because, like, I bought a pair of those, mm-hmm. and, you know, to keep that muscle stretched If that makes sense, I guess
1: it does. Yeah, so the Um, bigger thing with plantar fasciitis is most people will complain that first thing in the morning is when it's worse. Um, And again, from because I don't have a visual aid right now over the radio, your foot is essentially a spring. So every time you take a step, there's a little bit of springiness uh, that happens in the foot. Those splints tend to keep you in that the high end of that spring while you sleep. But the more important part is how do you not flatten it when you step? So yeah, those, those splints can be an important part of the treatment, but it's not the final step. There needs to be an intervention for once you take your first step. And usually what I recommend to people before they get out of bed, if they have plantar fasciitis... The plantar fascia is a tissue like any tissue, and and more important than stretching tissues is keeping tissues warm. So if you have plantar fasciitis, before you get up, move your foot around, give it a little bit of self-massage, get the tissues warm. It makes the enzymes work, and then take your first step, take it slowly, gradually add weight to your foot, like as you sit from the bed to the floor, add a little bit of weight. Warming it up is much more important than stretching it.
5: You mean like blood circulation?
1: Correct, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh. Yeah. All right, thanks, Sam. Uh, by the way, one eight five
0: five 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 Doctor Lou. If you need to get a hold of uh, Doctor Lou to make an appointment, guys, Ralph here. Good morning, Ralph. Good morning. What's going on with you?
5: Well, I just
2: got a di- diagnosis of CLL. Okay. And uh, my question and I don't think there's a whole lot of pain associated with it, um, but it's about second opinion. Yep. Yeah. And, and the best way to ask a doctor for a second opinion. I always think it's kind of uh, maybe a downer for the doctor to hear that, but is that pretty accepted in that
1: industry? Well, it's funny you should say that. I had a patient this week who was supposed to come see me and called uh, and said that, I guess they spoke to their family doctor and the family doctor essentially said if you go see someone else, you know, you'll be de-rostered or taken off uh, my list. And it's like, you know, again, why regulated professionals? If if people are doing that, if people are treating you the wrong way because you want a second opinion, call whoever the regulatory body is, whatever college uh, controls that professional. Because, you know, if my patients come to me and say, you know, thanks for what you're telling me, I want a second opinion, no problem. That's what you're entitled to. It'd be the same as if you went to go buy a car and said, you know, I'm going to go shop around. Well, if you do that, don't ever come back here, right? <laughs> right. Like, okay, yeah. fine, I guess I won't. Maybe you don't want to be seeing that person. Uh, but no, I don't think in general, most good healthcare practitioners, oh, yeah. uh, I, I don't think would ha- ever have a problem with anybody getting a second opinion.
0: No All problem. right, appreciate that, Ralph. <laughs> Seriously, right? don't you ever come back here. Yeah, you don't like, trust <laughs> me. I never <don't> <laughs> want to see you again. Okay, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. More of your phone calls coming up right here on the Dr. Payne Show Talk Radio, AM 640. It is a two-hour show this Saturday, right till 11 o'clock, or pardon me, 1 o'clock, started 11. It's a, it's a beauty. Love doing these. Uh, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Sandy, good morning. Hey, good morning. All Thanks. right, what's going on with you, Sandy?
3: Thanks for taking my call. First of all, no problem. I have had a sprain on my right ankle about seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, recently I've been going to the gym regularly and I'm starting to feel like an imbalance on that ankle, the le- almost the leg.
1: Sure. Can I ask you on the ankle that sprained, was it on the outside or the inside?
3: I wouldn't know because okay. I just I just use home remedy and oh, I see. it was swollen and um, when it was healed uh, mm-hmm. and I could walk on it, it was fine. Sure. I never had x-ray or anything done yeah. on it.
1: Okay, so um, the ankle, the most commonly torn ligament in the human body is the ATFL, which is really? uh, the ligament that attaches essentially would be the tibia to a part of uh, the... Uh, the tarsal bones in the ankle. Um, and so what happens is you can have different grades of sprain, whether it's a grade one, grade two, or a grade three, which is a complete tear. Uh, oftentimes people do get a grade three tear. And again, it, it'll be fine day to day if you're not really doing anything after the initial, you know, swelling and stuff subsides. Uh, but then as soon as you start to try to get more active, like you're mentioning, Sandy, there could be issues because what ends up happening is you you have an instability in that, ankle now because you're missing a ligament uh and if that's the case uh wearing some type of a of a support may be the option but again i wouldn't know for sure without actually moving your ankle around if that's the problem and if it is uh then again it would just be a matter of you uh doing the right things to support that ankle while you are uh while you're doing your activities cuz there's no other way to support the ankle in the absence of you know getting it fused by a surgeon but no surgeon would want to do that cuz it would just create a whole constellation of new problems.
6: Hmm.
1: That makes sense?
6: Uh sort of. <laughs>
1: okay. Yeah. Well, I guess if, if you really are interested in figuring out what the problem is, again, you know, this is this is a perfect example of uh, where my assessment would be uh, able to figure it out, and then I could give you very specific answers.
3: Oh, okay. Okay. How do I get to? Uh,
1: you can leave your number with the call screen, and I'll have someone from my office give you a call, or uh, the 55 Doctor Lou, and it's D R L O U. Uh, is the number you can call. Yeah, 1-855-55-Dr. Lou got uh, Isabel. Hi, Isabel.
3: Hi, sir. How are you?
0: I'm good. How are you doing?
3: Good, thank you. I have a problem about, it's been about a couple months now. What I do is I wake up in the middle of the night, and in my uh, my hands are both sleepy. Like, they mm-hmm. get tingling, numb, yeah. and they hurt. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure what is that
7: cause of that.
1: Yeah. So again, this is, it's a neurological type of symptom. So you got to consider all options. Could it be, Something like a muscle impinging on the nerve, could it be something at the neck, could it be something in the spinal cord, something in the brain. What I will tell you is most often when it it happens only during the night, it's just due to poor sleeping posture. Something where you're putting your arm a funny way uh, and that's creating pressure on the nerve and it's causing your arms to fall asleep. It's even something that I get. So, um, you know, but you can never be sure without ruling out everything else as well. But that's what I see as often the most likely cause. Uh, when people wake up with pain is just simply due to awkward sleeping postures or whether they're using too much of a pillow or too little pillow. uh, They're sleeping a different way. They've got some new things. They now have, you know, they're in a relationship. They're sleeping with someone. They're cuddling. That can create pressures. All this different type of sleep. Physical pressures. Yeah, physical pressures. Yeah. Uh, So it is possible, right? So again, it would be something that would need to get assessed in order to determine that there's no other potential cause. Uh, and then, if there's no other potential cause, it's likely just simply due to uh, poor sleep posture.
3: Okay, and okay. Uh, I can get in touch with. I left my number.
1: Great. So Perfect. can
3: you have somebody to call me? I you will.
1: Bet. Yeah. So yeah. So as long as we have your number, because I see here it says unknown. But, but yes,
3: it's unknown. Yes, but I gave her. Two... Okay. Sure.
1: Yeah. No yes. problem. Yeah, I'll get someone in touch with you.
0: We'll take uh, one more, I guess, quickly before the break, and that will be uh, Antoine. Yes. Yeah. How are you? What's going on?
8: I have uh, in and out, but mostly in uh, back pain. I had a car accident, and then short uh, a month later, I had a slip and fall. So I um, did uh, some x-rays and everything like that. I went to physio. They did acupuncture, massage. I call it a shock treatment, but I know it's not called that. Um, like Pulsation of,
1: um, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about, mm-hmm. like a shockwave.
8: Yeah, yeah. Um, and also, the physio said, get a better mattress. I did that, and I still get in severe pain, and I don't know where to go from. Okay,
1: there. let me ask you something. How much active stuff have you done? And what I mean by that is, did they show you exercises? And if they did, have you been doing those exercises, like the graded rehabilitation?
7: Yes, I have.
1: Okay. And you've been following and through with it, doing all the, the right exercises that they've showed you? Yes, I have. Okay. Uh, yeah, I guess, you know, that would have been based on what you were saying, my thought that maybe rehab wasn't part of the of the treatment plan, but if it is, then I'm not really sure uh, why things are not better, and it's obviously hard for me to, to say for sure over the phone, but uh, if you like, come in for, for an assessment, we could take a look at it and I can give you specific answers to maybe why it's not getting better.
2: Uh, Yeah, that would be great.
1: Okay, awesome. Antoine, again, one Doctor Lou drlou
0: D-R-L-O-U, for you as well. Jim, I see you on the line there. Hang on, big fellow. We'll get to you. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. Still got some more time to talk to us this hour. Then we're going right to 1 o'clock, the Dr. Payne Show, talk radio, AM 640. 11.53, a few more minutes here. You want to call in? We're going to go after 12 o'clock, of course, right till 1. We'll take a short little break for the news. Jim, thanks for hanging in. How are you? Yeah, Jim here. Hey, Jim, what's going on?
4: Um... Um. Okay. Um. I have a. I think a sciatica problem. Mm, okay. Um, here's what happened last week. I got a bad cold, and uh, coughing was really excruciating, and uh, my chest. And I think I threw my back out.
1: Yep. Okay. It's possible.
4: And, yeah. Well, I get. I got up in the morning. This is about three, four days ago. I had this excruciating pain on my left hip. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, I and mean, it's bad that I almost passed out when I try to to get up and walk right and uh, but after i sit up for a while it gets a little bit better mm-hmm. but now the pain has moved over to towards my groin
1: yeah okay
4: Dude, what do you think's going on there
1: yeah well so a couple things one of the things that can often um you know blow a disc is increased uh uh internal pressure such as through sneezing coughing i hear that a lot yeah. so potentially a nerve could have been set off uh, yeah. and, or sorry, a disc may have bulged and it's putting pressure on nerves. And a lot of the nerves in the low back do go to the, the groin area and those and those things. So it may be higher than the sciatic nerve. There's other nerves besides the sciatic nerve, right? Okay. Uh, and so it may just be the disc herniation is affecting a different nerve root and that nerve root just so happens to go into the groin area and is causing those symptoms. But again, you'd have to get the proper type of an assessment in order to determine if... You know, it is a disc herniation going on, or is it something else? You know, sometimes it could be even things like just myofascial pain, which is referral of muscle. There's some muscles like the external obliques that can refer into the groin area. Um, It could also be an actual groin issue, right? So there's a lot of things to consider there that could have happened. But based on the history that you're saying with the coughing and throwing out your back, it sounds like you probably aggravated a disc uh, and it's probably higher up, maybe L1, L2, that area, and it's putting pressure on the nerves that go to the groin region.
4: Very good. Okay. Very good. Yeah, okay. very interesting. Will it go away eventually?
1: You know, there's always natural history, what we call natural history to most um, problems. The question then becomes, does it go away the right way so that it, you know, you minimize its chances of coming back. It, it's, it depends, not, it can go away on its own for sure, but not always. And, and it's really very much based on the individual and the things that you do. But I would encourage anyone going through those types of things to get it looked at by a professional. Um, and then they can kind of educate you on the things to do to avoid um, and then go from there. Because, you know, a lot of times leaving these, things and trying to let them heal on their own all it does is increase the likelihood that it's going to come back one day
4: right right yeah okay See, i'm not, I'm not in toronto i'm in business ontario so i'd have to look around for a professional up here i guess
1: yeah so well give me a I call know. i have a net i have a provider network so i can get you in contact with somebody if we have your number i'll make sure to get in touch with you and i can help you find someone uh up north that that can be, help you out very good. Okay. Thank you very much. Yeah. No All problem. Right. Thanks, Jimmy. The number one eight five five five. Doctor Lou, you mentioned a
0: short time ago about uh, good pillow, bad pillow. How do you know? What do you like? Do you just it's how much you spend, or you know,
1: not necessarily. Yeah. Um, it's more about the key with sleeping is is making sure your spine is neutral, and so that really depends on how do you sleep. For example, if you sleep on your side, Mm -hmm. well, there's a greater space between your ear and your shoulder than there is if you were to sleep on your back, right? So that would change how much of a pillow you would need just based on that. Sleeping on your stomach is probably the worst thing for your spine. Uh, I'm kind of a hypocrite because that's how I sleep. Uh, But it's just- with your head turned? Yeah, it's, oh, you yeah, don't yeah, wake up it, with a sore I, neck. Oh, I, mean, I got tons oh, of problems. I can't even I, lie. I've like I've tried that. to change, but no matter what, I wake up that way. But yeah, um, so that's that's not a good thing. So does it really depend on price? Probably not. It probably depends on uh, comfort. You know, one of the biggest things, in, and thankfully, the day and age that we live in is reviews on these products, right? right. So I think that's a big thing. If if the majority of people that are using a product say it's good, it's helping them, uh, then that's probably better than just relying on is it more expensive or not. Uh, and we we use a pillow that I sell a lot of, uh, which you put water in to change how much of a of a pillow that you need, and most people love it. And I actually came across it by accident. Uh, it was given to me as a graduation gift cool. uh, from the from the college that I went to, and you know, I kind of thought, okay, whatever, I don't want this thing. And I gave it to my girlfriend at the time. Uh, and then I remember sleeping over once and using, and I was like, this thing is incredible. Right. And so I'm taking it back. <laughs> yeah. And so then I had to go buy my own cause she didn't want to nice. give it back. But ever since then, and, and, you know, we've sold thousands of these pillows uh, in the clinic and we've never had a complaint. People a love water it. pillow. Yeah. It's, it's a pillow that has like a, a pocket inside and you put water to um, kind of see how much of a pillow you want or don't right. want. And, yeah, just it's it's great people love it. Yeah.
0: Set a brother up? I no problem. I'll bring I'm you in. one. I'll bring you one next
1: time. I had Those a water are... bed, bomb, bomb back in the seventies, but that's a different if, story. I don't know if the water bed is is a good idea. <laughs> no. <laughs>
0: Not at all. We'll take a quick break. Uh get your phones right over here for another hour of the Dr. Payne show when we come back from the news, of course. 416-870-6400 star 640 on cell. So we'll talk to you on the other side. Talk radio, AM 640. It is 12.04, hour two of the Dr. Payne Show, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Got uh, Len on the line. Hey, Len, good afternoon. How's it going? Good. What's going on with you?
2: Uh, I was in a bike accident in the summertime and I uh, kind of tweaked my shoulder, broke my shoulder blade. And uh, I have uh, ended up having the, some disc problems. And uh, they're talking about possibly going to surgery. But I don't really want to go for surgery. i just
1: wondering, is there any other suggestions? I am going to a chiropractor already and doing ART, but there's some issues with the shoulder still in the back and
2: a lot of pain. So I, I missed the first part. You fractured your uh, your scapula, you said. Yeah, I broke my shoulder blade in the bike
1: accident. Okay, and then. And
2: I'm having shoulder pro like now i shoulder problems. Right. Um, they can't really figure
1: out what's going on with it. Okay. Um, so can I, can I? I sorry. No, I was just simply going to ask that when they've recommended surgery, what is their reasoning for the surgery?
7: Uh, Because they're
2: wondering, they're, they're actually, well, they want to send me for an MRI. Right. And then they say you might have to do surgery on the shoulder because there might be something wrong with, like, the ligaments or the tendon. Right, uh, yeah. Because I'm having issues, like, putting my arm like kind of like kind of like a kind of swing right i can't do that okay like kind of bring it backwards Mm.
5: yeah
2: um and anything up to a certain point after like kind of like uh if i lift my shoulder like an upright row Mm -hmm. i can only go so parallel to my shoulder i can't i can't do kind of go past that point
1: right well, I guess the answer would be that it would depend what, you know, what the what the MRI shows and then what they're recommending the surgery for. So, you know, for some things, I think surgery is absolutely necessary in the shoulder. And for other things, I think there might be better options. An example is, let's say someone who's having chronic dislocations and their ligaments are, are weak, uh you know, the, the surgery for that is great, and it really provides stability. Um, something like a labral, te- a labral tear in the shoulder uh, really tends to, to respond well to surgery. Uh, something like a partial tear, maybe not so much, right? So it really depends on why they would be suggesting if surgery is the option, and that'd be the thing that I'd be more interested in reviewing to really understand uh, and then give my recommendation based on that.
2: I broke my shoulder blade, and everyone I talk to, this is a very rare case that people break their shoulder blade.
1: Yeah, Uh, it it is rare. I don't hear that often, that's for sure.
2: And, uh, you know, I I happened in July, and I'm still really tender in the side. Like, uh, is that just bruising, or?
1: It might just be, you know, kind of, uh, you know, the aftermath of everything going on. I don't know that it would still be bruising. Is the fracture healed now?
2: I haven't gone for another x-ray yet.
1: Yeah, so that, that's important too. A lot of times, uh, fractures in, in weird places... Can linger, especially if there's no good inherent stability in that area, and I could potentially see that, you know, something like a shoulder blade fracture because there's no way to really stabilize that. Um, right. Could could may, there might still be some fracture going on, and you know, the other thing you have to understand about the body is when there's an injury to a certain area of the body, oftentimes the pain isn't always necessarily due to the area that's injured; it's due to the other areas surrounding trying yeah. to pick up slack. Uh, and slack creates uh, fatigue, and fatigue creates pain. So that may be the other reason why you have pain going on still in that area.
2: Yeah, if someone slapped me in the side or even, like, punched me in the side, that like
1: guy would just drop. You'll yep. yeah, yep. yeah, so make yep. sure nobody punches you in the side. That, that's rule number one. <laughs> rule number one. Other side, fine, not them. this yeah. side. 416
0: 870 star 640 on your cell. Alex, good afternoon. Hi, how are you today? Good, pal. What do, What's your concern?
4: I went for an MRI in September and I have a uh, torn meniscus in my knee as well as a Baker's cyst. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if there's any way of avoiding, uh, I guess, surgery. And uh, if there, I guess we, lo-
1: we lost you a little bit there at the end. Say it uh, again, Alex. Alex.
4: I had a uh, MRI done in September and yep. I have a torn meniscus in my uh, left knee as well as a baker, cyst, baker okay. cyst behind my left knee. So I'm just wondering, is there anything we can do about that
6: besides surgery?
1: Do you remember what type of a tear it was? The, the, uh, no, I, no, I don't,
6: to be yeah. honest. With you.
1: So that kind of matters on the type of tear. Do tears always need to be treated by surgery? No, you could try other uh, types of therapies to, to try to get the knee better. The Baker cyst in the back... Baker cysts tend to happen anytime there's a meniscal issue. What a Baker cyst is, is essentially within the knee, there's something called synovium, which is the fluid that lubricates the knee. Uh, and sometimes if there's stuff going on with the meniscus, there'll be a little bit of leakage of that synovium, and it'll create a pocket-filled cyst called a Baker in behind the knee. Now, as long as that Baker cyst doesn't start to push on, you know, the nerve or other muscles and it doesn't generate pain, it's often what we would just call an incidental finding. You just noticed it because you ended up having an x-ray. So if it's not really bothering you, that's probably, you know, not something to worry too, too much about. Uh, The tear is probably what's causing you more pain. Uh, And it does depend where the tear is, the type of tear. Uh, And based on that, then I would really be able to suggest whether surgery is the best option or not. Uh, I see you've left, I think you've left your number with our call screener. Uh, Maybe if you find that information out and then we connect uh, later on in the week, I can give you a better answer. All right, then. Thank you. Okay, no problem.
0: Time. Thanks, Alex. We'll uh, we'll take a quick break here. Uh, Marco, I see you there. Everyone else, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell here to one o'clock. Bring on your calls, concerns. We can take them right up until the end of the show today. The Dr. Payne Show Talk Radio, AM 640. 1214, right till one o'clock, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Marco, good afternoon.
7: Good afternoon. What a topic. It suits me fine for today. I have an issue. I, I, it was my right shoulder force. Then I went to an acupuncturist, a Chinese guy. He did about nine treatments and about two injections into the shoulder. He solved that problem. Then he says, if I don't do the other side, it can, it can become the same problem yeah. like the right side. Now, this left side is so bad, I'm losing the muscle from the shoulder to the elbow. What can I do to assist it?
1: What do you mean, losing the muscle? It's
7: the, hand, the the arm is getting smaller.
1: Okay. Uh, well, that's that's you know, anytime you start to see visible atrophy of muscles, uh, that's usually due to some type of a, a neurological claudication where the nerve is not providing uh, nerve energy to that area. So that that need, you need to figure out exactly why that's happening, right? Because um, that could potentially be very dangerous. Uh, for that to be happening, and you know, in terms of how do you treat it, I don't know because we'd have to see exactly why uh, that muscle is atrophying, and that's that's very very important to get an answer to that.
7: So, how do I make contact with you guys?
1: Uh, do you have a pencil or a pen?
7: Yes, thank you. Yes,
1: one eight five five.
7: One eight five five. Five five. D R. E R no, D is in Doctor,
1: doctor Dr. Lou. Doctor Lou. D R L O U. L L O U. Yeah. Got it. And then when you call the number, press one, it'll take you straight to my main clinic and they can uh, help you book an assessment.
7: All right. Whereabouts is your clinic though?
1: Where I specifically practice is a Tobacco, but if uh if it's you want something closer I can find someone in my provider network to help you out.
7: I'd appreciate that. I'll leave my number with the, um, with the, awesome. with the screener. Okay. Beautiful.
1: Thank you. Good. Thanks,
0: Marco. I appreciate that. Rosa, good morning.
7: Good morning.
3: How all right. are you? Good.
0: What's going on with you?
3: Um. So I've been a runner for the past 20 years, and all of a sudden, at the end of the summer, this past summer, I started getting lots of hip pain. And so I went to see an orthopedic specialist, and uh, he told me that I had bursitis on the left side.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay.
3: And so I haven't been able to run since... Uh, December and obviously that doesn't work well with me, but so I'm going I need he prescribed intense physiotherapy Mm -hmm. Which I'm starting this week, but just wanted to know a bit more about that or can I continue to run? Like what are my options?
1: So okay. Where where are your symptoms exactly?
3: It's usually on the left hip
1: where on the left hip
3: Uh, right by the bone the hip bone
1: right at the hip bone on the side on the side, yeah. Uh, does it hurt in all ranges of motion? Like, no matter which way you move your leg, there's pain in that area.
3: No, it's usually if I'm um, sitting for an extended period of time, or if I mm-hmm. exercise, and mm-hmm. then it'll begin to hurt. But when I'm in motion, it doesn't hurt too, too much. Is
1: it's it a sh- after the fact? Yeah. Is it a sharp pain?
3: Uh, pretty much. It'll. It's a continuous pain.
1: Okay. What so. can you just describe the character? Is it is a very sharp just in that area, or is it the whole region?
3: No, it's probably uh, from my hip bone to, I guess, just where my bum would start.
1: Okay. Yeah.
3: area. Okay. So yeah.
1: it sounds like it could potentially have a component of bursitis, but it may also have a component of uh, muscular issues surrounding it. Um, so it would be important not just to treat the bursitis, but also treat the surrounding tissue. And most good therapists will do that regardless so as long as you have a good person that you're about to see that shouldn't be an issue should okay. you be running i you know i guess it's really about you know in the first week week and a half of starting the therapy i would say probably no But then that's where you have the conversation with your treating professional, where you kind of uh, start to reintroduce whatever you're doing. So Mm -hmm. oftentimes when you're off of whatever activity is that you like to do, the worst part is not that you go back, but that you go back the same way you were going in December. So it's now March, right? So two months have passed. So Just as as an example, if you were running five kilometers before, you may want to start with, you know, a low intensity jog for maybe a kilometer once you do start again and and try to reintroduce your body into the activity gradually versus jumping right back in at where you were, uh, because that'll be more likely to recreate the issue than if you reintroduce something slowly over time and grade it.
3: Okay, that's fair. Okay. Okay, thank you so much.
1: No problem.
0: There you go. We'll take a uh, short break. I have phone calls. Want to bring them on? we we'll, uh, got some time to talk to you right till one o'clock this afternoon. Four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred star six forty on the cell. By the way, emails anytime info at paincare dot com. Doctor Pain Show rolls on talk radio, AM 640. 1222, The number four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred star six forty on your cell phone till one o'clock this afternoon. The Doctor Payne Show. Doctor Lou is here. Dan, good afternoon. Hey, how's it going? Good, Danny. What's happening, pal?
8: All right, man. So I'm 27 years old, yep. and I'm uh, I'm really heavy into bodybuilding. I have been for the past five, six years, and um, I did have a a mild shoulder injury um, a few years back, and uh, I did go to Cairo and I did get some uh, massage therapy done on that, and I've been taking uh, glucosamine and other joint support supplements uh, prophylactically since then. I just want to see. What well, your opinion is on uh, taking them in a prophylactic state? Is that uh, beneficial?
1: For you mean specifically the gl- glucosamine sulfate? Yeah. For the shoulder injury?
8: Well, just for like overall joint support because I put so much uh, stress on my joints yeah. on a daily basis, especially when you're mm-hmm. when you're bodybuilding, right? So yeah. Like, and I don't have any necess- Like, I don't have any um, problems right now, mm-hmm. but. I'm just wondering if uh, taking it, you know, over a long period of time when I'm young like this, if that would have any problems in the future.
1: Yeah. So it's a good question. Um, and I, I spoke about this a few weeks ago about glucos- glucosamine sulfate. Yeah. And I, and I like the fact that you want to take it more from a preventative standpoint because you exactly. know you're putting a lot of load on your joints. That's the right time to be using these more natural supplements versus people who develop pain. I have lots of people who develop knee pain and then they'll say, should I take glucosamine sulfate? It's like, well, yeah, if you started you know, five years ago, it may have helped to prevent this, maybe. Mm -hmm. And even then the research is questionable. You can't even say for sure. But I would say with anything that's more of a natural occurring substance, uh, they take a much longer time to actually have an effect on the body and therefore taking it, such as you're doing more from a preventative standpoint, is probably better than taking it from a treatment standpoint. So it may not necessarily help with the shoulder problem that you're currently having but it may help to diminish the likelihood of other joint problems happening or at least maybe diminish their severity if they do happen so yeah i think that's kind of the right approach uh if you are going to use something like a glucosamine sulfate
8: okay is there any because um, i know like when i go in the store they got like the uh glucosamine conjoint msm combo yeah you know like do yeah. you think that one is better than the other
1: like all supplements, it really comes down to the ingredients they're using and how they get those ingredients. Like, it, it's more about the production of those things because there's a lot of bad supplements out there. Uh, and if you're heavy into bodybuilding, I'm sure y- you've done a lot of research on things like good protein shakes and bad protein oh, yeah. shakes. And so it's the same kind of thing with glucosamine sulfate, like where is it coming from? Is it synthetically uh, made or is it actually coming from somewhere? Those are all things that would increase its potency and and potentially make it better.
8: All right. Cool, man. Okay. Thank no you. Totally appreciate you guys' time
1: today. No problem. Take Thanks, care. Danny.
0: Appreciate it. Talk a little more about that. Like, you, you go into a health food store, you want to take supplements, you're working out. Maybe you want to get in a protein or creatine or something. Where do you start? It's like an endless, you know. Endless. So,
1: you know, one of the problems that I think has occurred is is we, you know, we look at bodybuilders, which are essentially professional athletes who bodybuild. That's different than you and I going to the gym for an hour a day. A professional bodybuilder is working out, you know, six, seven hours a day. They need that extreme level of protein. I remember one of my uh, professors, he was actually a sports doctor for the the Raptors, and he used to say that, you know, the average person taking protein all you're doing is creating very expensive urine because a lot of it just gets wasted. Like there's only so much uh, protein that your body needs and that will use before it starts to exc- excrete it and get rid of it. Uh, so it really depends. Now, you know, what if you're say a vegan or a vegetarian and you don't get a lot of protein in your diet, maybe there's an argument there for, right. should you supplement with something like a protein shake? Um, also, you know, maybe you're undergoing an injury and you, and you want to help heal and so you need a little bit more protein you know, and it really depends on the individual. It's it's hard to say in general, are these supplements good or not? Something like creatine is a totally different perspective. It's all for energy. It's the way, from a biochemical standpoint, your body uses energy in different ways. And the first 10 seconds of any energy cycle is heavily based on creatine. It's not based on oxygen use uh, that creates ATP, which is like glycolysis and other uh, the other metal, uh, metabolism. Uh, so creatine... Uh, cre- uh, even speak now creatine really creates creates a burst of energy in that first 10 seconds so if you want to try to power lift and do more things then it's really going to be beneficial for that but in the absence of wanting to do that it's not really going to help for much else so it really depends on what the person's specific needs are and what their specific health goals are in terms of what supplement is better i see a lot of people who come in and, you know, you ask them, are you taking any supplements? It's a question I always ask. And they're on every single multivitamin, mm-hmm. this supplement, that supplement, da-da-da. And then, okay, how's your diet? Well, it's okay, it could be better. It's like, I I'm uh, my personal opinion is that supplements should be used after you have a perfect diet, right? Because you can get most of the things you need uh, in right. real foods, and I'm kind of more of that type of approach. Uh, and I'm not suggesting that that approach is right. I'm just telling you it's my approach. And so, and then use supplements after that, but it really needs to be understood why you're trying to take something and, you know, do you need it or do you not need it, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Cause how many guys you see in the gym, you know, they got all full of, uh, you know, pee and vinegar, I'm going to start working out. And then the next
1: step, they go to the nutrition store and they spend 400 bucks with a basket of everything. Yeah. Well, it's, right? it's. Again, at the end of the day, it's it's a it's a business, right? So uh, the health industry, especially that kind of like gym industry, is created a certain way for things to make money, right? And so of course they're going to push that supplements. There's always a confounding variable, which is that Hmm. it costs money, and that you know it may therefore be a little bit biased, but that doesn't mean that it's not always important. I I mean I know a lot of people that swear by supplements and these things, uh, and it's just not my personal. Uh, thing to go to but i think it should be every single person out there should be an informed consumer and you make an educated decision get the facts understand look at the available research because nowadays research is available to all of us i remember when i first started in school you had to have special subscriptions to libraries at harvard and now there's google uh, uh google research and it's it almost has the same stuff that any other place would do so reading good uh, research, real research, is important to try and understand if these things do have an effect. If they don't have an effect, then you know it's a debate that still has no conclusive answer. And you can't, you can't discount the uh, the placebo effect, especially when it nope. comes to working out. Yeah, I swear, it, God, man, I'm stronger. Yeah, Maybe and if bigger. people exactly, and placebo is important with anything. So uh, you know, I'm not suggesting that if you're taking it to stop, just do your homework. Right.
0: Yeah. We'll take a short break. Your phone call's got time four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred star six forty on cell. Right here, Dr. Payne Show Talk Radio, AM640. And you can call the radio station right now till uh, 1 o'clock this afternoon, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. You get common terms all the time, right? You get sciatica, bursitis, and then... uh Jody, Jody yeah. our producer, says, I got knots in my back. What's a knot in my back? He yeah, said, you married? You got kids? <laughs> Diagnosis done. <laughs> right. But what is that? He, he complains about it, right? Yeah, people no, say no, that and all people, the time. people
1: do feel like these knots in muscles. Uh, and oftentimes what it is is just it's a it's a tender point in that muscle uh, that's probably in a chronic state of contraction. Mm. Uh, and, and sometimes that can ha- happen. One of the things, calcium is very important for muscle contractions, even though we you know, as a society seem to think it's more important for bone, which it is important for bone, but it's also very important for for muscular contractions. And a lot of times these knots, quote unquote knots, are just um, areas of the muscle fiber that hasn't been able to relax. Uh, and that's where people say, I've got knots. And they do tend to be more common in, you know, if you had a bodybuilder, you'd find a lot of knots in them because they're putting their muscles mm-hmm. under a lot of contraction. But, you know, It's equally just as common if you're dealing with someone who sits at a desk a lot and there's certain muscles that are under a constant state of contraction in that area, you'll get little areas in that muscle where the fibers haven't fully released, uh, and because they don't release... Uh, you, you end up feeling these knots, and so you—that's where things like massage therapy or you know active release therapy or myofascial release therapy; those are kind of the areas that professionals will work on to release them, because then it allows your muscle to work as one unit. Because having an an area in a muscle that's not moving properly can create a, a pain type of uh, of syndrome, and so uh, removing that you know little problem area can can sometimes you know. Create, solve the issue that you've been
0: having. You mentioned sitting. Would it be the same as standing? Because Jody stands there for jo- Jody four st- hours a day.
1: Jody does stand there, but uh, the only difference is that he's still, the position, he's on the computer doing things, so that's still very similar to using a computer. So right. him standing really saves kind of his low back, but it doesn't do much for his neck and his shoulder areas because he's still in that same type of posture where he's got to work in front of him on a computer screen. So uh, it's definitely better than sitting all day for sure, Uh, but there's still an area of, of, of issue where he's still doing those things in front of him. Now, the important thing there becomes... You know, we can't stop what we're doing. Like, I'm not suggesting we shouldn't be working on computers. But then it's funny because you see people working on computers. So what that means is your your chest is in a constant state of tension. Uh, the anterior muscles are getting tight. And then these people will go to the gym, and the first thing they want to do is bench press, right? So offset it. I remember it was a few years yeah. ago, the new trainer to the Leafs, I forget his name, when he came in, he essentially eliminated chest workouts from from the Leafs training camp because he basically said, like, you guys, when you're holding a stick, what are you doing? You're flexing your chest. They're always flexing your chest. Why do you need a stronger chest? You need to balance it out okay, with thanks. working out the back. so And that doesn't mean you have to go to the gym to work out your back, but there are simple exercises that you can do to really strengthen the back muscles so you're held in a proper posture. A lot of people have what we would call rounded shoulders, and I'm sure you've seen it, where it looks like their shoulder's leaning forward. That's just simply due to really tight pec muscles and specifically pec minor uh and so you know strengthening the rhomboids the serratus anterior and a lot of those other back muscles the trapezius will help to keep you in that proper posture Um, and one of the things that's interesting with proper posture i'll get people into the office where we'll do a certain provocative test and they say yeah that's the pain that i have under that test and then i'll say okay let's get you in a good posture and let's do that same test pain is gone that's how important posture is. When you're in a poor posture, it's going to put st- strain on different areas of your body that's going to create pain.
0: And you've said, no, in past shows, you've said no posture is good posture.
1: Well, movement. Right? R- yeah. Exactly. And, and and a lot of the times when I try to educate people on posture, it's, you know, I'll show people what's the proper way of sitting. But I don't tell them you're working for eight hours, so I want you to sit for eight hours In
0: a $3,000 chair, Yeah. Yeah.
1: What I want you to do is be cognizant that every once in a while when you're thinking about your posture, sit in a proper posture. Over time, you'll you'll slump out of it. But as long as you have that thought and every now and then you change it, you're creating a dynamic posture. The other thing that's important with sitting is more important than a good posture or a good chair is get up every 15 to 20 minutes and move around, just like we were talking about at the beginning of the show where... Uh, keeping your muscles warm. It's just as important. Injuries happen when our muscles are cold, when they haven't been used. And so you need to move around. You need to eliminate what's called creep. As you sit there for a long period of time, your muscles, your ligaments undergo uh, what's called creep, which is just a constant lengthening of that area, whether it's the low back or the neck. And that starts to create an instability. And that's very dangerous. So you want to get up and you want to move every 15 to 20 minutes is usually what I recommend.
0: Lines are open, 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. You also mentioned this is a, a few shows back, and it caught my ear, and we should expand on it. You said, you know, we live life pointing forward, and that makes yeah. such a big difference to how you, you should exercise, right?
1: For sure, and wh- that's kind of the same thing that I was saying with, uh, with the computers. Everything we do is in front of us. Yeah, just by you the don't ver- think about it, though. Well, it has to be, right? Our face is in front Mm -hmm. and our hands are in front, so it would be very hard to do stuff behind us. But the reality is fine. We need need to accept that reality. But now, again, do the things to offset uh, Mm. that extra pressure that happens because everything is in front of us, like not ignoring our back muscles and getting that treated the right way uh, and also doing the right types of exercises so that way you're creating a balance. Really, the body, when you look at muscular tension in different areas, a lot of the times problems occur because you end up having tightness on one side and weakness on the other. And that's consistent throughout the whole body. And a lot of what we do for treatment is you're trying to find balance. So, you know, where where we find a weakness, we recommend exercises to strengthen. And where we find a tightness, we do certain therapies to release. And so that's a lot of what therapy becomes is, is trying to find a good harmony and a good balance between tissues so that there's um, a constant state of tension uh, on either side of the body
0: so would you say it's fair that the body naturally wants to compensate one side or another to to achieve balance and that can cause problems as well right
1: yes right? yeah that is fair to say and that's why you start to get certain a lot of the times common with like desk jobs and things where people have the neck and upper back, we tend to call that an upper cross syndrome, which Mm -hmm. is essentially you look at where the weaknesses are and where the tightness is and your body's just trying to kind of trying to fight that. And, And it's usually the areas that are under that constant state of weakness that fatigue equals pain, right? So.
0: Justin, good afternoon. Good afternoon. What's going on? What's happening with you?
4: Every time I work out I get uh cracking in my bones like on my elbows and my shoulders. So you can actually hear it anytime I do my bench press or, or um or any kind of pretty much any kind of lifting exercise
1: using mm-hmm. my arms, yeah, I get cracking. Okay. Um how old are you? 45. 45. Yeah, so cracking is you know it could be due to some type of wear and tear in that area so there's degeneration in the joints it could also just be because maybe you're not warmed up and as you start to do things it's like i don't know if you've ever noticed when you get up first thing in the morning your your hands are stiffer than once you've gotten to use them so you know potentially if you warm up before you jump into a bench press it might minimize that uh you know again it may also just be the reality that you know, some of those joints are are worn and, and you'll get certain noises coming out of them. The bigger thing with noises that I always say is if it doesn't hurt, it's often not a big problem. But if there's pain with it, that's when you kind of got to investigate and see what's going on.
4: Right. There's no pain. Yeah. It's just annoying right. in it.
1: Yeah. How l- it- you say you're 45, Justin? How long have you been training
0: in the gym? Uh, Probably
1: about a good twenty years. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. So yeah, wear and tear is is definitely yeah. going to have set in. Do do you warm up before you you jump into your exercises? Uh, sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're all guilty of that, yeah. right? Yeah. No. I'm, yeah. Uh, <laughs> i Yeah. So that. try it. Try warming up. Like just make make a point of doing it this week at some point before your bench press. Kind of you know just stretch out, r- rotate your arms, get kind of get the blood flowing, and then jump into the bench press and see if it minimizes. If it does, then you kind of know it's just probably do to you know the muscles being cold
0: appreciate the call justin we'll get to uh more of your calls the number 416-870-6400 star 640 on sale till one o'clock this afternoon dr Payne show continues this is talk radio am 640 1244 dr Payne show here till one o'clock your phone calls as always we'll get to uh alan good afternoon alan
4: oh good afternoon how are you
0: good man what's happening with you
4: well i'm just kind of curious because i'm uh A new listener here, and uh, I've had a problem for a while, about 10 years ago, at a flooded basement, and I went a little nuts trying to get things out before they got damaged, and uh, I didn't realize what I was doing, and I guess a couple of nights later, I was uh, in screaming pain in the middle of the night. Right. Now, gradually, this seemed to go away, and I suppose recently, it's come back to haunt me. It's not a pain. It's both shoulders, and it's an ache, and it's a pervasive ache. Like okay. it doesn't, doesn't stick to the shoulders. Mm-hmm. I've been taking a, uh, they call natural eggshell membrane. Right. Yeah. And that seems to alleviate a lot. My question is, uh, if any of this sounds familiar, is this just going to be something I'm stuck with for the rest of my life? Like I know I really did some damage there when I was when I was doing this stuff, but it was gone for years.
1: Mm -hmm. Have you done any type of like therapy for this? No, no. So yeah. And one of the biggest things with any physical problem that I say is if you have a physical problem, it needs some type of physical medicine. Uh, And so seeing some type of a professional, like a chiropractor or massage therapist, a physiotherapist, uh, massage therapist, et cetera, anybody that kind of works in that physical medicine realm is probably going to be a good thing uh, because, you know, it's a physical problem. So your body will respond better to some type of a physical intervention versus, uh, you know, like a biochemical intervention because it's not really a biochemical uh, problem. So I would say in the absence of having tried something like that, try that and and. You know, I think it'll help. The other thing is, we were kind of talking about this before with natural history. A lot of the times, things can go away on their own, but then, as you mentioned, Alan, it can come back to haunt you because it wasn't necessarily treated and then more so healed the right way after that initial issues. So, yeah, I definitely think it's something that you should consider having looked at by a professional.
4: Well, it did, it did, uh, it did disappear. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And they and it can, but uh, that doesn't mean that it healed the right way and. And again, it's about the the long term, right? Like we often think a lot, I see a lot of patients that as they get older, uh, they start developing issues. And then when you speak to them, you realize they had a previous injury, but they did nothing to, to treat that previous injury. And all that really does is the body doesn't heal the right way on its own. It has a faulty mechanism because, again, we were designed for, you know, 10,000 years ago. And when our body was healing itself, maybe we were going to live another five, six years. We weren't necessarily going to live another 60 years and so uh, the mechanism of healing is often uh, good in terms of getting rid of the pain but bad in terms of function for long term.
4: Well does it make any sense that uh, um, I'm I'm a pretty active person for my Mm. age I mean (laughs) really active I split my own firewood I dig my own garden and everything and that seems to be therapeutic.
1: Yeah, well, movement would be therapeutic, right? That's what I mean. When I say physical medicine, movement is part of physical medicine. So, uh, for sure, if you're doing the right things and you're moving around, uh, it's going to warm that tissue up, it's going to get things going, and, yeah, it can be therapeutic, for sure.
4: Yeah, because I was just, I suppose, uh, trying to uh, ignore the uh, possibilities that somebody would suggest some kind of surgical alternative or something. And, and like I said, this... Uh, Uh, whether you've heard of it or not in 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 the right circles this is apparently a really big thing this natural eggshell membrane
1: yeah it's yeah no for sure it's it's one of the it's you know the next big thing after glucosamine sulfate yeah um um, and yeah i'm not suggesting that it, it doesn't work i think a lot of these things are based individual to individual and if it's helping you that's great um and and you know that's really all that you oftentimes I tell patients, all you should worry about is if it helps you and don't worry about the stats for everyone else. But yeah, if you're taking it and you're finding uh, relief with it, then that's great. Alan's a pretty cool Lives in Toronto, splits his own firewood. I like that guy already. Yeah.
0: <laughs> got uh, Frank, we'll get you in before a break. How are you, Frank? Pretty good.
1: What's happening? And
6: Dr. Lou, I got a problem with uh, medial epicondylitis. Yep. Uh, Golf is elbow. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm old now. It's getting getting bad. It's preventing me from doing things like, well, I was involved in martial arts a lot, so I do like hundreds of push-ups. Right. So it's, it's really starting to get painful now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've tried uh, cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got a couple of salves, but those are just temporary.
1: Right. Um, what can I do? Okay, so same question as our last caller. Have you had any professional look at it and gotten any type of physical medicine? No. no. Um
6: Because it's getting bad only recently. Yeah. The last say year.
1: Yeah. So, and and a year would constitute chronic, right? Anything after 12 uh, weeks starts to become yeah. chronic, and as things get chronic, they become harder to treat. In the absence, I see lots of people with whether it's tennis elbow or golfer's elbow. I see. I, I actually had three people yesterday, uh, new patients that all had uh, some type of an elbow issue. And in all honesty, if you get some type of physical treatment for it, it often gets better much quicker versus just trying to do you know the mm-hmm. home remedies and pressure here and and some type Mm -hmm. of a medication again my my big thing is if it's a physical problem needs some type of physical intervention
6: yeah i've had it most of my life i played a lot of baseball when i was a kid right and i think that might be the cause of it Yeah, but that that doesn't mean
1: that getting the treatment won't help now, right? So um, I definitely think it's something worthwhile for you to consider. In the absence of doing something like that, it could just be a problem that sticks around and nags you, You may get better again with natural history, Mm -hmm. but then can come back. And, you know, even with treatment, it could still come back. But uh, usually with treatment, you also become an educated person about Mm -hmm. the things that would... uh, re and so it tends to minimize the instance or the severity of, of reoccurrence.
6: Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'll look you up and I'll give you a call later. Sure. Awesome. Thank
0: you, Frank. It's uh one eight five doctor Lou, by the way. Golfer's elbow. Tell me about it. Come on in, son. The water's warm. <laughs> Brutal. More of the Dr. Pain Show coming right off Talk Radio AM 640. You want to slide in a quick phone call in the last few minutes here the show till 1 o'clock? Four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred 6400 star 640 on cell. I'm betting that at your clinic with this winter or non-winter we've had you've seen a, a big drop in slipping falls car accidents cuz people just aren't slipping or falling as much right Yeah
1: that's that yeah, is, yeah it's actually a good point i have seen a, a little bit less in it but there's never really a shortage even though you know there is maybe a, a statistical fall in the whole GTA mm-hmm. we still do see uh a fair number of the slips and falls, maybe the slips and falls have decreased because it hasn't been as cold. But for yeah. sure, car accidents still tend to happen whether weather is good or not good. <laughs> right. Um, and so you see those things for sure. And you know the most common injuries that you get with uh, the car accidents are often spine related because yep. of the jarring effect. Whiplash. Yeah, whiplash. No matter which way uh, the collision is, you you just end up having a jarring effect through the spine. Um, And then it's just a matter of getting the right treatment. And I know even when we've had Savannah on the show before, um, you know, if there's a legal aspect to it, it's important to be working with the right clinic uh, in order to get, you know, a good file going. That way you have a good case because, and I know Savannah would agree, it it does help your chances when you have a professional and a team uh, that are documenting the things Mm -hmm. the right way. You'd be surprised how many clinics out there, uh, no matter what the type of clinic is, uh, that don't document things properly or just do really quick notes and things like that. And those things can, can be detrimental to any type of a legal proceeding, whether it's for a disability claim or uh, a slip and fall or a motor vehicle accident.
0: Savan sure. hosts the uh, Insurance Injury Law Show here on 640. We'll have him on again maybe in a I couple will. weeks. Yeah, it's been a sure. while, right? Yeah. Got uh, Gary here. i sl- uh, slide you in quick. Gary, what's going on?
7: Um, the the base of my right thumb now has been sore for... About a year and a half. I started when I was building a fence in my backyard. A couple of days later, I got severe pain in my hand, specifically in my right thumb area. A uh, doctor diagnosed it as uh, tendonitis, and that made a lot of sense. I mm-hmm. uh, treated it with uh, not very much, just sort of rest. Uh, it was o- It's ongoing. I've had x-rays, and now they tell me there's arthritis in my thumb area. Okay. Uh, I've had physiotherapy, and I've now seen a specialist, uh, not a doctor specialist, sorry. I uh, went to a hand clinic at uh, Southlake um, Hospital in Newmarket, and they said uh, stop physiotherapy and rest the, the hand. So I'm in a brace now for six weeks,
0: mm-hmm.
7: and the pain is still there. Yeah. Uh, if I take the base off, or, sorry, the, um, the brace off, then the pain still exists and sometimes it's extreme
1: how long has it been in the brace now
7: it's been about six weeks now
1: it's oh it's already been about six weeks yeah yeah as you were telling me all that i was going to say you may want to stop doing therapy for a bit and, and immobilize it um it's hard it could be a lot of things the the degeneration the arthritis could be a contributing factor uh it could be still a tendon issue a lot of the times what happens with the The tendon sheath is, uh, there's a sheath around the tendon and you can form scar tissue in those areas, which prevents um, the proper motion uh, of that tendon, which can create pain. Uh, You know, in all honesty, Gary, I'd have to see it in order to be really sure exactly what's going on with it. It sounds like you've been doing the right things and yet you've had no luck to get rid of it. Um, The other thing is maybe at a certain point, um, if if it's still not better after having had it immobilized and there's still a pain component you may want to talk to whoever the treating professional is maybe about something like a a cortisone injection in the area to to numb it out and see if that can provide any relief. Okay, great. Okay, yep. No
0: Thank problem. you very much. No problem. What's the lifespan of cortisone? I know people have done that to get it's it's I'm
1: not momentary relief but it's not forever. It's not forever. It's usually could range as high as about 3 months. Uh, some, some people swear that they, they did it once and it's gone away, but it's not necessarily the injection that makes it go away. The whole point of it is that you should be doing it to let the, that way you don't have pain so you can do the things to get it better. Cause a lot of people, for example, will say, well, I want to, I want to lose some weight, but I can't because my hip is bothering me and I'm okay. losing weight. Would help their, their hip? hip sure. So they end up having the injection kind of to block the pain, and then it, and and then they can do the other things. Um, now you also can't do too many cortisone injections in any one area because it's a steroid, uh, and it will decrease uh, bone mineral density in that area. But you know, in in a case like what we just spoke of, maybe that injection in that area gives it enough time where he's not thinking about it. That's the other thing. It's the distraction. You now don't have pain for a period of time. You right. can start to forget it
0: we'll uh we'll take it for there we're back here next week at uh, 12 o'clock I want to remind you of that one the dr pain show in the meantime one eight five 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 Doctor Lou drlou to get a hold of dr lou here after the show is over email info at paincarecanada.com till next time next week in the dr pain show talk radio am 640